para la gente burguesa, sin distinción de color. Welcome to Talking Tina, the Antifa side project about the politics of America Latina. This is the eighth episode, and we're going back to where it started, Argentina, where the extremely online and narco-capitalist bolsonarista and MAGA chud Javier Malay have just been elected their new president. Will it be a return to the anti-communist dictatorship of the 70s and 80s, the neoliberal dollarization era of the 90s, or will it turn Argentina into one big anarchopolco? To find out, I interviewed members of the anarchist communist collective based in the Biblioteca y Archivo Alberto Geraldo in Rosario, Argentina. They are also involved in the journal Cuadernos de Negación and the newsletter La Obea Negra. Recently, they put out a new text on the Malay phenomenon called Contra el Liberalismo y sus False Criticos, or Against Liberalism and its False Critics. Like most of their texts, it's not translated in English, but I hope this interview will represent the thrust of their argument and analysis. To do it, I sent them the questions over email, they answered in Spanish, we worked on a translation together, and one of their group recorded the answers slowly and carefully in English. So if you read Spanish or just like to translate stuff, they developed several of these points in more depth and detail in their recent book, which you can find in the show notes or at lazoadiciones.blogspot.com. Disfruta! So who is Javier Malay and when did you first hear about him and when did you start taking his political career seriously? Milei is an economist by profession and the current national deputy for the city of Buenos Aires since 2021, a new elected president of Argentina for La Libertad Avanza, a recently formed political party with a liberal reactionary tendency. He worked as a business economic advisor. He became well-known on political TV shows back in 2015, breaking out with a provocative and incisive style and exposing his liberal ideology with a conservative tone. In economic matters, it is identified with the so-called Austrian school. His media appearances, which quickly multiplied by generating high ratings, began to be reflected and supported by YouTubers and influencers related to liberalism. ...for letting us come and interview you here in Buenos Aires. So why do you think, from your perspective, you've become a man with no political background so popular so quickly in this country? From my standpoint, there are two ways of explaining this popularity. One has to do with my personal background. Over the course of my life, I've been a soccer player and I sang in a rock and roll band and I'm also an economist. And I think that combination makes for an attractive television product. The other important way to explain this popularity is because of my ideas. 
Argentina is a country that has embraced socialist ideas for the last 100 years. So liberalism is a natural form of rebellion against the system, and rebellion is always led by youth. When they look at me, they see someone talking about liberalism and rebelling against the status quo. His political figure was gaining strength back in 2018. His resounding discursive opposition from the National Congress against official policies and that of the so-called casta politica, uh, a characterization that Millet himself installed in Argentina in reference to the group of officials and career politicians, they were positioning him as a political reference and a potential president. His performance in the PASO, primary open and mandatory presidential elections, on August 13 was truly a surprise. The electoral contest of the last 15 years has been taking place around two usual opponents, center-left fronts commanded by Kirchnerismo and center-right fronts with the Unión Cívica Radical and the pro-merge. The emergence of La Libertad Avanza not only broke the conventional beef-road scheme, but also displaced the opposition front to third place in the general elections on October 22 coming to contest and triumphing in the ballotage runoff for the presidency on November 20. He achieved just over 55% of the votes compared to 44% for Sergio Massa, the candidate of the current ruling party, with a citizen participation of 76%. It is worth clarifying that in Argentina voting is mandatory. We had a period of inflation in the United States that has now largely stabilized, but nothing like the situation in Argentina. What does it look like for you and your comrades, coworkers, neighbors, etc.? Inflation is a cyclical phenomenon in Argentina, at least present in the last 80 years. Inflation levels, notably high compared to those of the world's main economies, have become something to be expected, but not pleasant. There's a general habit of expecting a peak every 8 to 10 years. Argentina's capitalism is precarious, with a low conventional industrial component and with productivity notably lower than the world average. The exception is the production of grains and grain-derived goods, one industry where high technology achieves volume and competitiveness at an international level. Foreign demand for grain products has produced a positive trade balance that was sustained during the first half of the 2000s. The high levels of inflation are fundamentally manifested in the deterioration of wages and the increase in the unemployment, job insecurity and poverty levels. In 2022, inflation reached 100%. In 2023, inflation has reached 150% and poverty now exceeds 40%. In our book, Contra el Liberalismo y sus Falsos Críticos, we address the topic in the article The End of Inflation. There, we insist that, although liberal discourse places monetary issues at the center, this aspect is an aggravating factor but not 
the cause of inflation. What most raises doubts among investors, which is the dollarization plan. How fast do you think it can be implemented? How is it going to work in practice? And how will you get the Congress to approve it? I think there's a previous discussion about dollarization. Actually, strictly speaking, it's to get rid of the central bank. The dollarization is an instrumental issue at the end of the day. There are four argumentative axes. One has to do with a moral issue, which is that stealing is wrong. And seniorage is nothing more or less than a swindle by politicians against good people. Therefore, let's say, if we consider that stealing is wrong, one of the greatest thieves in the history of mankind is the central bank. The second point has to do with a technical issue, because in the Argentine case, it is more evident when a product has no demand, its price is zero. So, if the local currency has no demand, and its price should be zero, the equilibrium real balances are zero. Whatever amount of money a central bank wishes to impose, the counterpart is that the price level is infinite. Demand and its price should be zero. Equilibrium real balances are zero. Whatever amount of money a central bank wants to impose, the flip side is that the price level has infinity. And what do you do with the central bank? Would you close it? At one point you made the joke that you were going to set it on fire. Well, what you do with the building is a problem of what you decide to do with it. It's a figure, it's a metaphor. What I'm saying is that the institution doesn't exist anymore. I am saying that in the transition, until you can transform the banking system into a free banking system, it will have to fulfill the function of regulating the banks. The superintendent of financial institutions will continue to operate until a free banking system can be set up. And in that idea, if you are president in six months, ten months, one year, all the bills in circulation in Argentina would be dollars? All dollars, yes. The surge in support for Malay appears most obviously related to the constant increase in the cost of living, resulting from the ever-devaluing Argentine peso. But it also appears to find its vitality from a far-right reaction to social progressivism and welfare programs. Where is Malay's base of support? Is it the same evangelical reactionary or petty bourgeois base of Bolsonaro and Trump? The base of support for Malay is not given by militancy in the classic sense but rather as a heterogeneous and multi-class composition that has a majority of young people bound and exhaustion with the prevailing precariousness. It does not propose a revolutionary horizon, but rather a strange anti-politics that proclaims itself an outsider. The media push for dissemination is mainly in YouTubers, influencers and certain journalists from the conventional press and audiovisual media. In full affinity with the evangelical movement, La Libertad Avanza captures the need to believe in something and gives it the form on an exit that is capitalist. There are not only marked discursive coincidences with the evangelical movement, but also an explicit accompaniment. Anti-progressivism, the rejection of the so-called gender ideology and a strong defense of the traditional. Remember as an example, the evangelical leadership in the light blue scoffs movement, massive expression against the legalization of abortion. You oppose abortion. Why? 
Because someone who believes in liberalism, I'll say libertarian liberal, because in English the word liberal means something different. So let me say as a libertarian who believe that liberalism entails the unrestricted respect for the lives of others, rooted in a principle of non-aggression and the defense of life, liberty, and property. And if we cleave these ideas of liberty, one of the most fundamental aspects is to defend the right to life. La libertad avanza brings together the most reactionary expressions in contrast to progressivism, which shows exhaustion and marked impotence to reverse the growing precariousness of the social reality that it claims to combat. What it brings together is a clear sum of individualities united by fear, which places progressism as the root of all evil, certainly referring to the phenomena of reaction in Brazil and the United States. So in the recent Ecuador elections, law and order politics became central because of an increase in gang and crime activity. How has that played into the election in Argentina? Crime, crimes associated with drug trafficking, insecurity and violence have worsened in Argentina in recent decades. All political sectors are obliged to address these issues. Last year, we published the book Plomo y Humo, El Negocio del Capital, Lead and Smoke, The Business of Capital, where we deal with the issue of drug trafficking along with the environmental problems in the city of Rosario, the town where we live. In terms of discourse, the ruling party speaks out against deepening the iron fist to control the crime. On the contrary, the opposition raises it openly, La Libertad Avanza and the other opposition force Juntos por el Cambio. In any case, insecurity has not been as important an axis in Millet's electoral campaign as the economy and his ideological rejection of progressivism has been. Taking about an iron fist presents some resistance in the Argentine electorate, generally associating with the repressive policies identified with the military actions of the dictatorial government that served in Argentina between 1976 and 1983. However, the trend of reinforcing social isolation that it entailed in Argentina, the declaration of the pandemic worldwide and the growing insecurity in relation to crimes in a, a scenario of deteriorating living conditions exacerbated individualism and the need to end crimes in any way as possible. Although the state is clearly involved in organized crime, in the social imagination, the state remains the only possibility to counteract it. Leftists in the United States tend to identify the neo-Peronist phenomenon of Kirchnerismo with the social democratic currents attached with the pink tide throughout Latin America. Is this accurate? And who were Malay's main opponents? Once the ballot stage was reached, it was Sergio Massa of the center-left front who became Millet's political rival. However, within the center-right front that was left out of the runoff, 23% of the ballot votes, there has been a split announced by the political leaders. To put it roughly in a U.S. political terms, the Republicans will support Millet and the Democrats will support Massa. On the other hand, it is worth clarifying that Massa comes from the current of traditional liberalism. Today, he has become the visible figure of a complex network 
that brings together various political sectors, mainly Peronismo and Social Democracy. We can also refer to several references to this in our book, The Contest, Raised Between Liberal and Progressives, we translate uh, as a dispute between conservative liberal, La Libertad Avanza, and an amalgam of false critics, the rest of the oppositionary arc. Those who call themselves anarcho-capitalistas omit the fundamentals of the state as a necessary structural pillar of free market capitalism. Those who call themselves socialists propose the state as the only possible regulator of the voracious and inhuman market, which must be dominated and controlled while remaining completely necessary. The ballot has polarized the issue, and the supporters of progressivism, pink tide is not a common term for us, uh, make common cause for the lesser evil with the countless political currents that are very different, postulating the La Libertad Avanza proposals as dangerous, chaotic, sickly, and a future gravedigger of uh, any gains that could be conceivable won through a democratic order that no longer appears untouchable. Donald Trump is running for president again in the United States, as you know. What advice would you give him? He should continue his fight against socialism because he's one of the few who truly understand that we are fighting socialism, that we are fighting the statists. He understands perfectly that the generation of wealth comes from the private sector. The state does not create wealth. The state destroys it. The state can't give you nothing because it produces nothing. And when it attempts it, it does so poorly. So I'd say if I could humbly offer advice... All I could say would be to double down on his efforts in the same direction, defending the ideals of freedom and refusing to give an inch to the socialists. Was Malay's success partially the result of his anti-systemic approach? And why have non-Peronist left parties like the Trotskyists failed to emerge as a real political threat? In this regard, we have been insisting that the left in general and the parliamentary Trotskyist left in particular has become the caboose of progressivism, demanding that it comply with what it is supposed to do. However, it does not propose anything substantially different. Non-payment to the International Monetary Fund is one of its main slogans. This left has become increasingly nationalist, statist, managerial, and no longer even reformist, if we are to understand reformism as a supposed strategy on the way to revolution. With the revolution erased, the rupture as an alternative erased, it has been pointed out here that the rebellion has become right-wing, while progressivism and the left are seen as responsible for the current situation. In number 89 of our newsletter La Oveja Negra, September 2023, where we discuss the electoral context, we address this question of rebellion. Whether from the left or progressive after the outbreak of 2001, or from the reactionary liberal right at present, Both are channels of discontent in a defense of capitalism and in this way we believe it is necessary to address the political changes in the region. What will the Malay administration mean for the poorest workers in Argentina? 
And what about for the Mapuche struggle? The economic reality of the country is effectively one of a bankruptcy. The adjustment will be a mandate for the political force that assumes the presidency. In fact, this has already been carried out progressively via inflation and devaluation of the local currency. The poorest will be poorer. It is notable that La Libertad Avanza has shown a progressive moderation of speech as its probability of electoral success increased. We do not know what will become of the La Libertad Avanza government, but the experiences of governments of neo-rightist forces in the US or Brazil, for example, have shown less radicality in practice than what their campaign speeches exhibited. In relation to the Mapuche struggle and other designated indigenous people, the response is not so different. It is true that the Libertad Avanza speech is categorical with the issue of private property, as is the aforementioned political force Juntos por el Cambio, already outside the electoral competition. They also show reluctance regarding the recognition of minority rights. The thing about progressivism is more subtle. The discourse is markedly opposite, but its action is totally similar. Property is not touched. The granting of eventual concessions allows them to continue their defense of the established regime, although generally the policies focus on the identity level and not on a transformation of living conditions. About the struggle of the Mapuche proletariat in Argentine region, fundamentally its most radical expressions, we published in 2018 the book Wenui, Por la Memoria Rebelde de Santiago Maldonado. This anarchist comrade was disappeared and murdered by the Argentine state within the framework of the Mapuche conflict in 2017. Argentinian politics has had a long and complicated history with Israel. How has the recent barbarism in Gaza reverberated in political life there? Here, it is necessary to make it the reservation that the information that circulates about the Middle East is fundamentally disseminated through bogus journalistic media, with a small minority of news originating from alternative media. In that sense, in general, a pro-Israel line is disseminated, only talking about civilian death and Israel and terrorists in Gaza. A little over a month after the first attack on Israel, there was talk of the kidnapped people but not of the more than 10,000 Palestinians murdered. The entire political spectrum, except the left, has openly expressed its support for Israel. The left, and part of the progressivism that has denounced the massacre in Gaza, places the issue in terms of imperialism and proposes solidarity with the Palestinian people without distinguishing between state and population. In general, they presented in terms of a need for national liberation of a people oppressed by an imperialist nation. Even with this imprint, various mobilizations against the massacre arouse 
in different cities with little participation. What about the uprisings in Chile, Ecuador, Colombia, and Peru? Have the elections of the leftist politicians there resulted in any real gains? We know about the situation in Chile through our contacts there. The new government not only put an end to the revolt, but imposed increasingly harsher laws, a task in which the right would have most likely had encountered greater resistance. The reform of the constitution, which emerged as a clear institutionalization of the social struggle, did not even materialize. We have long insisted that there are different forms of repressing the struggle, and this is one of them. In 2019, we published an extensive edition of our newsletter La Oveja Negra in solidarity with the revolts in Chile and Ecuador. They were carried out through analysis in the heat of the events, with the participation of colleagues from those latitudes. We have not followed in detail the development of these processes to date. Do you see a path forward for revolutionary struggle in Argentina? Starting from the existing struggles and the transformation of the last decades of capitalist dynamics worldwide, we pay attention to the local manifestation and the possibilities they entail. Firstly, the massive reproduction of the workforce in condition of absolute precariousness with high level of unemployment and poverty. This is evident as a great difficulty for capital. For now, it manages to overcome it through large networks of state assistance, breaking the autonomy that the unemployed movements have during the 1990s until the early 2000s. Within the most impoverished proletariat is the indigenous population. Much of it lives in the conurbanization of large cities. From the indigenous population that continues to live outside the cities, both in Patagonia and in the northwest provinces, important processes of struggle have emerged for the recovery of lands in defense of their livelihoods and against capitalist projects. While we attend to the particularities of this expression of struggle and the cultural diversity of our class, when linking and analyzing them, we do not lose sight of the essential contradiction of the exploitation of wage labor and the imposition of the private property. Another fundamental aspect is that of the struggles of women and other dissidents, paying attention in the analysis to the changes in the sexual division of capitalism. Beyond policies focused on the level of identity recognition, we point out the impossibility of capitalism to respond to many of the problems that have become evident, starting with the sexist violence. From a reformist point of view, it is not possible to overcome the sexual division, so necessary for the reproduction of the labor power. From a revolutionary perspective, it has become sufficiently clear that it's not possible to abolish social classes without abolishing the sexual division. Finally, we participate and observe carefully the so-called environmental struggle. The Argentine economy is strongly based on primary production, both agricultural and mining. This type of production cannot be relocated when it is rejected by the population. 
This happened with several mining projects, an example in the province of Chubut. Today there is resistance to lithium extraction in Jujuy. Stopping this type of advance is a strong blow to capitalist development in Argentina. We are committed to assuming these deep implications of a struggle in opposition to a supposed green capitalism or citizen environmentalism. These are several levels of the current class struggle which exceeds the mere scope of production and calls into question capitalist reproduction as a whole. The possibility of a revolutionary rupture is latent in these struggles and indicates a path to follow. Yeah. 